Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's episode, we get into the Major League debut of D.L. Hall and the Orioles' development plan for him for the rest of the 2022 season, which will see him work as a reliever. In addition, we're going to cover some big promotions that happened in the minor leagues today, from Drew Rahm going to Bowie to Norfolk, to players from the 2022 draft class, including Max Wagner, Silas Ardoin, Fabian, and more going from the FCL to Delmarva. And we'll wrap it up with a look at Adley Rutschman's Rookie of the Year case, which has gotten a lot stronger in recent months. Um, But we'll start off with Hall, who on Saturday made his Major League debut against the Tampa Bay Rays. And the results were mixed. Three and two-thirds innings, five hits, five runs, all of them earned. Three walks to go with six strikeouts. At his best, the stuff looked as good as it ever has. Uh, fastball was averaging a little more than 95 miles an hour. He was pairing it with his secondaries, which when he located them looked sharp and the raised batters had a hard time squaring up on them. The problem was though, that his command got away from at various points later in the outing. We saw them hit him a little bit harder. Um, so I think that when you pick apart the results, obviously they're not great, but still some encouraging signs, I think. So I'll turn this one over to Nick to start off. What was your takeaway from his debut? Yeah, I've got thoughts. Um, so like, not great, but not terrible either. I think there were a few positive takeaways, first of all. I know he came out of the gates with, like, what, six or seven straight balls. That's whatever. I'm not holding that against him. I'm sure he was jacked up. The adrenaline was flowing through the roof with D.L. Hall. But he settled in and got, with three strikeouts there in the second inning. It wasn't super clean. We didn't see the 9,900 mile an hour heat, but he got the job done there. Uh, and I didn't go back and look. I think it was after like the third inning, but I think the Rays, I think it was after the third inning, the Rays had an expected batting average of like 0.05 or something ridiculously small. Orioles had an expected batting average like north of 350, it was like almost 370, I want to say. Nothing was falling for them. And it just seemed like the bad of gods were just like playing all sorts of games on both sides early on. And so I think that that had an impact uh, on both sides of that game, but he did give up that barrage of hits there at the very end. Couldn't get out of the fourth inning, but he gave up just one barrel the whole time, three hard hit balls. That was it. I think he matched Shane McClanahan in average exit velo on balls in play against him. So, and I think, you know, if he wouldn't have struggled with the command, like how much better of a st- of a final stat line would we've been looking at? I think it probably could have been pretty impressive there. But my biggest takeaway was the changeup. I mean, that was the pitch that I know we've highlighted 
over and over again all season long that look how well the changeup has come along. Look how effective it's been. Look how he's able to get swing and misses and close out at bats with the changeup. And turns out now that we've got some actual data to look at, it's a pretty good pitch. And he threw it 14 times, got eight called or swing strikes on it, which is fantastic. And I think when he can locate that fastball and go in there with a changeup that's 12, 13, 14 miles an hour difference in velo, he's going to make major league hitters look uncomfortable. And he was kind of doing that yesterday, um, Sunday, Saturday. Dave's confused here. <laughs> um, but I guess, you know, overall, you know, it's it fine. You saw the flashes of what makes D.L. Hall D.L. Hall. And you've seen a lot of people as well come out and say, yeah, the stuff is as advertised. Location issue, we all know that. But stuff-wise, as good as advertised. But my final thought is just like the dumbest thing the Orioles could have done was put Robinson Trinos behind the plate. Like, I'm going to go there and just say it. I, Some people I saw, like, it doesn't matter. He can't throw strikes. No. All right. That's probably true. But Robinson Trinos is just a body on this roster with no future role in the team and is literally one of the worst defenders in all of Major League Baseball. And he's never worked with D.L. Hall. Hall and Adley came up together. They have that close connection. I just would have wanted to see Hall and Rutschman pair up together in the start. You know, two years down the road, is that going to make a difference of who he threw to on his first start? Absolutely not. But, uh, you know, I think that we know how much better Adley makes his pitchers. And so it just would have been more fun, I think, to see Hall paired with Adley. But hopefully we get that before the end of the year, I guess. Yeah, that's a great point. And I completely agree because, like you said, Sheerner's never worked with D.L. Hall before ever he's one percentile and on baseball savant and pitch framing he's like terrible in all aspects of defense he's there for you know team chemistry he's great in the clubhouse i know that his, the teammates love him he's you know veteran presence for adelaide to learn from but and this wasn't even a one o'clock game after a night game this was a 4 p.m game so i really think they could have made it work him and adley and hall are good friends they have you know, worked with each other a lot. And there were a couple of borderline pitches that were called balls that I feel like maybe Adley could have stolen with the way he frames pitches. But yeah, that would have been nice to see. But other than that, um, before I even get into my thoughts, um, at Nick Willis Jr. on Twitter has a great tweet thread about DL Hall's start. And he's got some really smart uh, ways of looking at the inverted vertical break and stuff that is a little bit above me for now. I'm, I'm going to try to learn. But, uh, you know, the data, it, it leads to D.L. Hall's pretty good, basically. Uh, he just needs to get that fastball command, obviously, a little bit better. First, I feel like we got to see, you know, a little bit of everything from D.L. Hall in this start. He's, I feel like he had an adrenaline dump before the game even started because he was only throwing 93 miles per hour, like his first few pitches. So we know that's not typical. We know that his fastball can be better. It's typically sits in the mid to upper 90s, not really topping out at 97, 98. So the first inning, jitters galore. I'm sure, you know, he was nervous as all could all get out. And the only pitch he could get over was change up, but really no hard hit balls against him, even though he had a little bit of trouble in that inning. And then the second inning, we get to see dominant deal hall, what he can do when his fastball command is actually decent. And he strikes out three batters on what, 12 pitches, something like that. So, and then after that, you got to see deal hall that, you know, he gets frustrated with himself and then he leaves a, a pitch over the middle of the plate and gets punished for it. And Anthony Santander, certainly not doing him any favors, couldn't cut off a ball that I feel like any decent outfielder should have been able to, even though it was on the turf, that could have prevented a run. There was another ball that looked like it was just hanging out, hanging and hanging and hanging, and Santander just let it drop in front of him. So, yeah, maybe if Austin Hayes or Ryan McKenna were in left field, 
or even our favorite Phillips. Phillips. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, things could have gone a lot differently. But I, I was overall, I was pleased with, with the outing. Obviously not the results you want, but look, he got the jitters out of the way. Now we'll talk about sending him back down if that was the right thing, but now he can go. He got that debut out of the way. Now he can focus on doing what the team wants him to do and, and learn from the experience. And I think he's going to help the team down the stretch. Yeah, I, the thought that I had when I was watching the start was that, you know, the, the adrenaline is comes with the territory with D.L. Hall, but he definitely needed to take kind of a deep breath and step back a little bit early on. You could just tell that he was max effort. It looked like every pitch. And the problem that I think that was leading to was that he was constantly missing up with the fastball. If you look at the first five pitches of that game, um, his pitches were, you know, all high pitches that were not that close to the strike zone. As the game got on, you know, as the game wore on, though, all of his pitches, including the fastball, even when he missed, he was not missing by that much. So a lot of his, you know, wilder pitches came in the first inning. I think that you know, he definitely had some bad luck, and you could sum that up with Randy Rose Arena hitting the softest ground ball Randy Rose Arena has ever hit in his major league career through the against the shift for a single. Uh, that was really, really bad luck. But, you know, there, I think there's some things he needs to work on. But at the same time, I don't look at that outing in any sort of way. And honestly, I, I think the more interesting discussion here is the Orioles' plan for him the rest of the way. He's not going to be used as a starter. This is going to be a way to protect, keep his innings limits down after he missed a significant portion of last season. And apparently the team believes that sending him back to Norfolk and letting him get into a reliever's routine there is better than letting him do that at the majors. Whether that's actually going to work remains to be seen, but it does leave the door open for D.L. Hall to, number one, and this is the most important thing, get more major league innings before the year is over. And number two, if the Orioles hang in the wild card race, you add another hard-throwing lefty to your bullpen. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of people say, why bring him up just to send him right back down, which... I mean, it's good that the team and him knew that was happening. It wasn't like a surprise after the game. Hey, you're going back down. So sounds like he was pretty on board with that. I mean, he doesn't have much of a choice, but I kind of see it from both perspectives because he should be able to learn in the major leagues and do it. But also he just pitched a bunch of, a bunch of pitches in this game, so he wouldn't be able to be used for like four or five days anyway. So send him down. You know, you get another bullpen arm up at the major league level while you're trying to win games. And then once rosters expand in September, you bring him up and and use him to the the best of your ability. So yeah, I think he he certainly could be a weapon, and I think it makes sense right now, given the position the team is in, to use him out of the bullpen. Because hey, if he comes in and he can't find the the strike zone, you take him out and you try again next time because you you don't want him. You know, when he's on, you saw how good he can be in that second inning. But when he's off, yeah, I mean, it's not going to help you too much at the moment. Yeah, so I'm I'm fine with moving him into the bullpen for the rest of the season. I actually love the move, and I love the idea. Like, let's get that early work in where he's getting those jitters out. He's settling in. You can put him in more controlled settings. You can say, all right, today, I don't know how many times you hear former pitchers who are on broadcast say, like, you get in there, do the pregame warm-up, and once you get out there doing that pregame bullpen, that the first pitch, second pitch, you know either I've got it today or I don't got it. Like, you know instantly. And you can go out there and have more conversations with DL Hall. You can put him in more favorable situations. Like, I just don't have it today. Well, we're going to use you in a low leverage situation just to get your work in. Or if he's feeling it, you say, all right, we're going to put you in in the eighth. 
or we're going to put you out for two, three innings, stretch you out a little bit if you're really feeling good. You can control the situation a lot better out of the bullpen. You can extend his season uh, because we know there's that hard cap. I don't think we've gotten a number yet. I don't think that's been said out loud what that hard cap number is, but we know he's probably getting really close to that number. So that extends his life a little bit more this season. But yeah, I just don't get why moving him back to AAA makes any sense. To me, it just seems kind of pointless at this. And usually I am all on board with a lot of these decisions, but I feel like once we, I feel like a lot of Orioles fans are kind of like this as well. It's we've gotten used to and accustomed to how the Orioles operate with promotions and more people are fine with that in the lower levels of the minor leagues. But once you get to AAA, it's like, what are we doing? Uh, And then the wheels just kind of fall off. But um, like, I just feel like you can make that transition while on the major league roster. I get that. You need another arm for the Toronto series, right? You want to win games. You want to rebound from that Tampa series and take some games from the Blue Jays, get right back into the thick of this race. But, you know, it's the Orioles clearly know, though. And they've clearly had that conversation with Hall himself because he has seemed at least publicly fine with all this. I think that conversation that Elias had with him personally is him and Ramsey and probably Chris Holt. They've all met with him and said, this is what you're going to do. This is our plan with you the rest of the way. So this wasn't just sprung on Hall. And so I think that helps in this scenario, but I, I just don't agree. I, I want to see him up in the major leagues. Just keep him there and let's see what you can do. Because how much better is this command going to get with another three weeks in Norfolk? Let's let's work on it up there with Holty right in your ear. But I think if we weren't in a somewhat in a playoff chase here, you know, I think it would have been a different story. But I really do think that's all it is as far as sending him down. They they can't afford to be missing a bullpen arm especially you know the bullpen being a strength and it's been overworked a little bit lately so get that extra arm and maybe if someone has to go on the injured list he can be up even sooner than september 1st and one thing i forgot to mention when i was talking about his outing is that Eno saris has the stuff plus model and dl has the best stuff plus of any starting pitcher in baseball after his first start and that's with his fastball being a little bit you know a couple ticks lower than it typically is. So that's pretty exciting stuff there. Obviously small sample size. I think he says it takes about 400 pitches before that really levels out. And, and Hall pitched like 70 some pitches in that game. And of also of note, Felix Bautista has the best stuff plus in all of major league baseball, which is not too surprising. Yeah. I kind of think I agree with Bob and, you know, I'll withhold judgment for a couple of weeks, given where the Orioles are in their schedule, because, it's worth pointing out that they will play, have played every day from August 5th through August 21st without an off day. They lost a couple of off days that were supposed to have been on the schedule to first the lockout, which led to one game being made up in Boston last week. And then this week they have a rain out against the Cubs that is being made up on a Thursday afternoon. So they're going to go a long stretch of time without an off day. And we know that that rotation, when you get past Jordan Lyles, it's questionable how many of those guys can actually make it through five innings or get into the six on most nights. So you're going to need every arm you can get out of the bullpen. If Hall is down there for a month, I might feel differently about this. But if they, say, put him in Norfolk for two or three outings and do whatever they have to do with him between now and his first relief appearance to get him settled in, that I don't have a problem with sending him down. Yeah, I'm fine with that as well. It'd be interesting to see, like, do they keep him going every five days as a quote unquote starter, but you're only going like two, three innings with Norfolk or are they strictly putting him in the bullpen and letting that Norfolk rotation ride with Valamont, Brom, 
Ryan Watson and some of these other guys that are now on this roster. I mean, I get it. I guess my mind is still on this idea of this team is not going to make the playoffs. I don't think they will. And that's not saying this season isn't a major, major success because it is. But I think it was a shout out to Matt Kremnitzer on Twitter. who's like, you know, people like to you know, yell at these lineups every day, but like, this is just a solid, just average lineup. Like it's nothing special. There's no special sauce that the organization is going to unlock by moving these pieces around. It's, this is a good team having a great year. Uh, I just don't see it as a playoff team yet. And that's where my mind is going. When I think of this, just keep Hall up at this point, but I get it. Yeah. I, I tend to agree as far as the playoff chances. I think I said, I give us a 15% chance of making the playoffs when I was a guest on a uh, bird's eye view last week. But uh, you know, you got to give the team every shot, even if you don't think it's a, pr- a probability that <laughs> Birdland's favorite word. Um, but yeah. And um Thought I was going to have something else to say, but I forgot. I'll throw this out there just for us to kind of banter with and have fun, because I think we all know what the real world answer to this is going to be. All right, let's suppose that D.L. Hall is back up in the majors within the next two or three weeks. I would give him a solid month out of the bullpen. He dominates down that stretch. Maybe the Orioles make the playoffs. Maybe they don't. But the bottom line is that he looks really good in a bullpen role, and he keeps the Orioles helps keep the Orioles competitive over the final month. And if icing on top of the cake, he does pitch in the postseason and looks good there. He established himself as a dominant, he pits as a dominant reliever for a month plus in the major leagues. Would that make either one of you want to put him in the bullpen at the start of 2023 rather than putting him in the rotation? Absolutely not. Not me. I mean, just like Tyler Wells, now you know that's in your back pocket that he's capable of doing that and give him every chance to give you even more value by making it as a starter. So I think it's always better just keep trying starting role until proven that he cannot, and then you make that transition and at least, hey, we know he's had success here. Should not be a problem. And the other thing I was good, I forgot I was going to say was uh, Hall will definitely, I feel like he's definitely going to get worked out of the bullpen interplay just to get that feeling of what it's like to enter. Maybe they'll even intentionally mm-hmm. bring him in with the runner on second or second and third and one out just to try to get him used to that feeling coming into a game like that. But we'll see. Yeah, I, I hope that's the case. But, uh, you know, it, they would have to do a lot of work to that major league roster for me to say, all right, you know what? Just go ahead. Yeah, let's keep him in the bullpen. Let's ride with this. You got Gunner. You've got Stowers, maybe whatever this situation turns out being. You know, you sign a, a stud bat. You bring in an all-star caliber bat, Carlos Correa. You bring in uh, a frontline starter, maybe two. Uh, you trade for somebody big. You make that huge offseason trade finally. Like, if you can stack this rotation, which I don't see the Orioles going out and signing, you know, spending – what. 150 200 million dollars on the rotation plus making a trade for another starter this offseason uh, not that amount of work there will be work done hopefully but not that amount uh, then yeah i say put the fireballer with pair him up with felix batista in the back end of the bullpen that's gonna give you the best situation the best scenario to win i feel like but yeah keep him in in that rotation every all season long and you can go next year hopefully with the reins off dl grayson TBD, I'm guessing, with, uh, you know, how is he going to be limited a little bit next year or do they feel confident enough where next year it's you're on the opening day rotation, rains off, let's go get it, uh, pair him, you know, John Means coming back hopefully midseason, 
Uh, like this could be a, a solid, solid rotation next year. We've got the stud Austin both and uh, <laughs> some other guys already, but like this rotation is just naturally internally going to be better already. Uh, and so it'd be anxious. I'm anxious to see like where Hall fits in with all of this though. Yeah. Unless we trade for Shane Bieber and sign Jacob deGrom, then I'd be okay with yeah. DL Hall <laughs> going into the bullpen, especially when John Means comes back from the, the injured list. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what the team's going to do. I think they will get at least one very solid, like no doubt this is going to be in the top half of your rotation next year, a guy coming into next year, but it should not preclude Hall from uh, getting at least a shot at a spring training. Maybe if he struggles mightily in spring training, then you start him at Norfolk again, or you start him in the bullpen, but he's got to at least prepare like he's going to be a starter coming into next year. Yeah, I agree. I, I would definitely keep him in the rotation. I don't care if he has a zero ERA with you know twenty strikeouts and twelve innings against one walk uh, the rest of the way this year. I, I'm going to groom him for the rotation. And I think that if you look at how the Orioles are probably going to build that rotation in 2023, and this is something that we'll get into on future episodes here, I would expect that maybe it's like the kind of off season the Twins have where they go out and they get Sonny Gray, and then they've got the prospects left to go out and make a move later on, like they did at the deadline this year, picking up Tyler Malley from the Reds. I can see something like that happening where they get a starter that's got at least, you know, a year with a affordable club option on his contract. They pair that with Rodriguez, Hall, Kyle Bradis, who for some reason doesn't get much discussed in these conversations anymore, but has actually been okay since coming off the I.L., Tyler Wells, um, you get means back at some point. Maybe Jordan Wiles is around, maybe not. I don't know. But there's a lot of different paths the Orioles can go with that rotation. And I think, frankly, right now, unless you have an extremely busy offseason reinforcing it, it's a better rotation with Hall in it than it is without it. Yeah, I still think they're going to exercise Lyle's option and then trade him and improve upon him in some way in the offseason and maybe get another guy. But even so, we saw this year, at least in the beginning, how injuries kind of decimated whatever depth we thought we had here. And uh, I think they'll have a better plan and have at least like 10 starters, 10 people capable of starting uh, and performing well coming into the year. Yeah, I keep forgetting that Jordan Lyles has that option. I'm going to look real quick. I mean, $11 million, I could, with the way he's performed this year, I could definitely see them picking up that option uh, 100%. Uh, how long he stays in the roster next year, TBD. But yeah, it's we're getting to that point. I'm here now at like the end of the season, and you hear all this talk now about we're gonna it's lift off from here, right? You hear these these more anxious quotes, you see this team performing well. Now I'm just getting to the point where I'm ready for the end of the season. I'm also I'm just I'm getting tired. It's been a long summer. I, I'm ready for the off season now. I'm looking forward to this off season more so than I have in what three years, four years. I, I genuinely, genuinely believe that this is going to be a fun offseason to give us a ton of content uh, to work with. And it's not going to be, look at all these new prospects we got in <laughs> trades. It's We're, we're going to be uh, having to focus on the Major League roster a lot more. To Yeah, on the verge doesn't just mean on the verge of making a Major League debut. It means on the verge of a playoff push, on the, world of a, <laughs> on the verge of a World Series. So we're not, you know, we're not limiting ourselves. We'll talk about the Orioles in every interesting uh, direction that they go. Well, we are going to have more major league discussion later in this episode, but we got to focus now pretty much on all levels of the minor leagues because there was an interesting slate of promotions announced on Monday afternoon. 
Drew Rahm and Ryan Watson, after strong seasons with Bowie, make the jump to AAA Norfolk, while the Orioles' recent acquisitions um, in the Jorge Lopez and Trey Mancini trades, respectively, Cade Povitz and Chase McDermott, make the jump from Aberdeen to Bowie. Luis Valdez, the prolific base stealer at Delmarva, who's also developed into a pretty solid hitter, goes from the Shorebirds to the Aberdeen Ironbirds, while a long list of prospects that includes 2022 draft picks, Max Wagner, Judd Fabian, Silas Ardwan, Adam Crampton, um, Jared Beck, Reese Sharp, makes a jump to Delmarva, along with a group that includes Juan Nunez, who was part of the Jorge Lopez trade as well. And with Delmarva, there's a lot of names there, and we will get into some of them tonight uh, more extensively. I've actually picked one of them for my finals segment player, and I'll hold that thought off. But I'm just going to start with Rom and Watson. I don't think these promotions are a surprise. They're certainly earned. But starting with Bob, what are your thoughts on these two players? I'm very excited to see what they can do down the stretch here. What, about six weeks left of the season or so? Get what? Um eight starts maybe between the two of them each they're well-deserved. They've both pitched excellent Rom. You know, he's had a little bit of ups and downs just based on a slow start. Then a trip to the injured list. It kind of derailed his progression and then coming back and he's got a low four ERA, but he's pitched well. He's striking out. I feel like more batters than he has in the past. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but it feels like he is, um, you know, he's going to be the youngest player on Norfolk's roster as Nick definitely pointed out on Twitter today. And, He's a 22-year-old lefty that's a starting pitcher prospect in top 20, top 15 of the organization in the best farm system in baseball. So nothing but excitement there. And Ryan Watson, just breakout player of the year potential. I mean, this guy looked like a decent fringe starter, interesting relief option after last year. And this year he's he's put himself firmly on the map of a starting pitcher prospect and how he's right on the major league doorstep at AAA and He's in competition with Justin Armbruster, Noah Denoyer, guys like that for minor league pitcher of the year. And it'll be exciting to see what he can do at uh, at AAA against some tougher competition. Yeah, you, I pulled some Drew Rom numbers, and uh, you are correct that he is striking out more guys this year in AA. Uh, not by much, but it is an improvement. Uh, I love seeing Rom get this promotion. Uh, 22 years old, like you mentioned. He is the youngest pitcher on this roster, Norfolk roster now. He's going to be – almost four years younger than the hitters that he's facing on a nightly basis in AAA. And I, I noted this also earlier that only 15% of his at-bats came against, when he was in Bowie, only 15% of at-bats against Rom came from hitters younger than him. And he's had a really solid season. I feel like that non-injury trip to the IL that lasted a little longer than I think we were all hoping for came right as the weather was starting to warm up. And he mentioned when he came on our show, like it's cold early on in the season. It's cold. I'm working on some things, not worried about, you know, the final stat lines. We're, we're going to warm up when the weather warms up. He goes on the IL. Then he comes back. He's got another ramp up period. And I feel like once he got through that second ramp up period, he went on this really impressive stretch. And now you look back at his booing numbers as a whole, his strikeouts are up the highest they've been since 2019 when he was in Delmarva over 11 per nine innings. Uh, the walks are up a little bit, but the home run fly ball rate is down. The XFIP's only a 3.75 compared to his 4.26 ERA. The BABIP is, I think, pretty high. It's like 375, 380 or something. So I think that plays a factor here. So he's pitching better than some of the metrics suggest. Um, yeah, you get seven, eight weeks here as a 22-year-old in AAA. Let's see what Rom can do. And, and Watson, 
I think you're right. I think he has a, I was trying to do like a ranking earlier, like where the minor league pitcher of the year race, where would that stand? Like Ryan Watson, I think is definitely top two right now. Um, I mentioned in our top 50 show last week that uh, he only made five starts in college and I viewed him this year as strictly relief, just another relief bullpen arm. I had no clue that the Orioles were even thinking about using him as a starter. And now he's arguably the best starter in Bowie's rotation. Well, now, now he's in Norfolk. So yeah, I am going to be glued into Ryan Watson, Andrew Rom's first uh, AAA starts. It's going to be a lot of fun to close out the year. Yeah, Watson to me has been one of the bigger success stories for this organization this year, because he was, you know, as you mentioned, a pretty much a pure reliever in college. Didn't get a lot of chances to start. He pitched in a relief role last year, only four starts between Aberdeen and Delmarva. This year, though, 18 starts out of his 20 appearances. He's already thrown 95 innings. And one that is really impressive, just 21 walks in that span. So command has been sharp all year. I And I definitely agree. I think that he's in at least the top two or three right now for pitcher of the year in this organization. Then with Rob, that injury early in the year came at the worst possible time in terms of his ramp-up period because – in his last start before he went on the IL, he pitched five and a third innings, six strikeouts, no walks, in a win over Harrisburg. Then he doesn't appear again. That was on May 4th. Then he doesn't appear again in the game until May 25th, and his inning totals over his next few outings, two and a third, three and two-thirds, four innings, three and two-thirds, four innings. So it was really not until late June that Rom was in that, you know, through that second ramp-up period and pitching at you know regular intervals again. So the timing of that injury was particularly bad, but he's been really reliable, and Nick made some good points there. You've seen the strikeouts go up this year from where they were last year. The home run, the fly ball rate is down, and a lot of the underlying metrics suggest that he has been a much better pitcher than what his ERA suggests. And I'd point out, too, that once again, he really doesn't walk anybody. You know, The walk rate's a little bit higher this year, than it was last year, but it's not some of the trend that we've seen with other pitchers in the organization. Zach Lothar is one that comes to mind mm-hmm. where it's every year the walk rate would just jump up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And that foretold some of the problems that Lothar had in the majors. But with Rom, it's been more or less steady and probably inflated by one or two rough outings. Yeah, and even then, the other point I wanted to make with Rom, I know his last couple of outings, last two or so, especially he pitched last night in relief, Sunday night in relief, I think. Um, you know, the final stat lines, not great. But at the same time, I remember last year when Brandon Young was in Delmarva, had statistically a disaster of an outing, uh, just ugly. And he got promoted. And I remember Sam Jelinek on the next day's broadcast, uh, or no, he responded to our, a tweet talking about Brandon Young's promotion. And Sam Jelinek was like, yeah, I had talked to Brandon Young after that start, and he said that's the best I felt all year, right? So you, we don't know if maybe they're preparing Rom to say, hey, you're going to get the call to AAA in the next week or so. This is when we want to move you. So here's where you're struggling a little bit. Here's where uh, Maybe not where you're struggling, but here's where we need to see improvements from you. Throw this pitch in this count, right? Don't throw this pitch in that count. Throw the fastball. If you got to throw it 10 times in a row, even if they know the fastball's coming, you need to hit this quadrant, this quadrant, this quadrant, right? Like, we don't know those game-to-game operations of what's going on, which makes scouting the stat lines of these minor league games, specifically pitchers, so difficult and just a, a fool's errand, I think. So, you know, Rom, the numbers lately may not have been great, but 
he could have been working on something and the Orioles like, you did it. You did exactly what we asked you to do. You're ready. And he comes out strong in Norfolk. We don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. But there's just something to, to keep in mind when, when you're looking at a lot of these numbers. Yeah, fantastic point because, you know, especially just looking at the stat line, you, even watching the games, we're missing key details like that. Mm-hmm. But at least when we're watching the games, we can say, yeah, I gave up some seeing eye singles, a bad call by the ump here. So you just don't know what they're looking for, what they're looking at, or just how much luck or bad luck was involved in when you have an outing where you give up five runs, three earned. So we know there were errors involved over four innings or whatever he had on Sunday. And he's coming out of the bullpen, which like we talked about with Hall earlier, I mean, it's a little bit of a different experience. So who knows how he reacted to that as well. But yeah, it's exciting to get them up there. I can't wait to find out. Obviously, Ron will be later in the week, but I can't wait to, to watch those games on minor league baseball TV. Look at some of the other promotions now, and just for the sake of kind of helping our listeners recognize these players because they aren't so new to the system, I'm going to group in the players that were acquired in trades recently together, even though they are going to different levels. Chase McDermott and Kate Povich are making the jump from Aberdeen to Delmarva. Povich is not all that surprising considering that he had been really good with the Twins high A affiliate in Cedar Rapids and was just dominant out of the gate for Aberdeen, 12 innings pitched, struck out 15 batters, walked two, and did not give up a run. McDermott leaves Aberdeen after just five innings. One of his outings was cut short by rain, but walked just one batter in that stretch. Nunez, meanwhile, is a 21-year-old who had pitched really well at the FCL for the Twins and carried that over to the Orioles. Small sample size, nine strikeouts in an inning with one walk in six innings of work. I think you look at Nunez and Povitz and say that if they had pitched the rest of the season in the Twins system, they probably would have earned promotions at some point. McDermott was a guy we talked about, you know, when the trade happened at the time, don't just look at the ERA and the home run fly ball rate and even the walk rate to judge McDermott because he pitches in one of the most hitter-friendly parks in minor league baseball in Asheville. So his early returns, very small sample size with Aberdeen, but he looked good. So Nick, just start with your thought on this trio getting promoted. I'm just excited to finally get eyes on Juan Nunez. I mean, 21 year old with huge strikeout numbers, and he's only been in the pros for what, a season and a half last year in his first year. So I'm excited just to see him in Delmarva uniform for the first time. McDermott, I guess I'll go with Povich first because Povich's stuff, you clearly see all the raw ability there with him. And I think he's going to get bigger, he's going to get even stronger next year. I would not be shocked if Povich comes out next year and we're like, we're getting reports of where he's throwing like 95, 96 miles an hour. Uh, I think he kind of already throws that now. I don't know what exactly he's touching now. Whatever he's touching now, he's added another tick or two to that fastball. I bet he adds 10, 15 pounds of good weight. Uh, And you start to, the slider has movement. The fastball is good. He's got four pitches, lands them all for strikes, gets swing and miss on all of them. 15 strikeouts, two walks and 12 innings to join the organization. I still think he's still fairly raw, but you certainly see the ceiling there with him. And McDermott, I think, is the higher floor guy who could you, – you put him in the bullpen, I feel like by the end of the year he could be in AAA maybe, uh, best-case scenario. But the thing with McDermott is just when you hear people say, like, oh, that fastball explodes out of his hand, watch Chase McDermott mm-hmm. pitch. If you, don't know, if you didn't understand what that means, like, that is what people mean when they say it explodes out of his hand. Uh, it's a fascinating pitch. The rest of the repertoire, I got to watch more. I was just so fixated on his fastball in that last start. I'm, 
I was when the trade happened, I was more excited about McDermott only because I was more familiar with him. I watched him pitch a lot in college. I thought it was cool that he's with the Orioles organization now. But yeah, Povich is a guy that uh, it's fun to dream on what he can do, what he's going to look like next year. Yeah, I want to start with McDermott because the Hudson Valley camera angle gave us a really good look at his pitches. And if you want to know what people are talking about when they say a fastball has hop, <laughs> watch that start because it's like, it comes out of his hand and then there's like a little zip right at the end. They kind of, you can just see it. It's hard to explain <laughs> through words, but you'll know when you see it and breaking stuff looks good to me too. It's just a matter. I feel like that's where he really lacks the control. If he can get the control of those pitches, you know, I think he'll look, he's already got what 122 strikeouts over uh, or 124 strikeouts over 77 innings. So obviously he's a strikeout wizard and I'm excited to see him in double a and same with Povich. I mean, He's great. Now, all of a sudden, guys are, who said when, when these trades happened, oh, we got a couple A-ball pitchers. Well, now they're double A. So is the trade any better now a week or two later? Because these guys performed really well, and they're moving up. And if they perform the same way in double A, then they will probably you know cement themselves as guys that could make their major league debut in the second half of next year. And uh, it's exciting. And Nunez, yeah, just love when we get these guys up from FCL into full season ball where we can actually watch video and make a little more educated prognostications and, and give our, our thoughts where they actually mean something other than, yeah, he struck out four batters over two innings. So uh, I guess he's good. Yeah. We've got about a month left in Delmarva season. So we're going to have a lot of chances to see Nunez probably over the coming weeks. And I'm really glad that you both mentioned McDermott's fastball because that Hudson Valley camera angle was really good. And it was almost like I watched McDermott pitch. And the only thing I could think with the fastball is that it comes out of his hand hard. Then it almost looks like it's going to suspend in midair. And then all of a sudden gets harder and moves up in the strike zone. Mm -hmm. That's really the only way I can describe it. And I'm sure there's a much better, more technically accurate way to describe his fastball than that. But that's what I thought when I was seeing it. And the thing that I... When I looked at that, it's like, how does anyone hit that fastball, especially when he's locating it as well as he was in that outing? The only thing I guess with McDermott, I was a little surprised. I'm not going to say surprised, but what was in the back of my mind after the trade was this guy just came out of an extreme hitter's park. And although, you know, there probably were some things that the Astros were doing with him that I liked, like I liked how they were piggybacking him. Maybe you want to get him out of that environment for a little while work on some things. So maybe he's in Aberdeen a little longer than Povitz, whereas Povitz is just like you're bringing him in to get his feet wet, get him used to the organization, and then you're probably going to move him up. But McDermott, I think that, you know, may, the Orioles probably knew that, probably had some idea they were going to move into Bowie quickly. But I think the big takeaway for me, and something I didn't realize until I was preparing for the show tonight, is that in those two outings with Aberdeen, he walked as one batter. And walks were a problem for him in Asheville this year. Yet, so far in this small sample size, they weren't an issue at Aberdeen. The other thing that we pointed out at the time was his walk rate was a lot lower away from Asheville this year than it was at home. So, yeah, maybe they feel like the command, it really the command is good enough for him to you know, hold his own over this next month at AA. And he can work with that fastball, which can strike out double-A hitters when it's at its best. He'll be that much better next season. I just, I think that was kind of the 
biggest knock on McDermott. It was control, 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 everything you saw. And for me, like, look at what Justin Arbruster, his K-to-walk numbers this year. Ryan Watson, we just mentioned those. The improvements Noah DeNoyer has made as he's moved up the organization. His K-to-walk numbers in Bowie are, are unbelievable. You're seeing guys as they – these Aberdeen to Bowie guys, uh, some of the best well, – I don't have the number, their final, like, rankings here. Like, where does Bowie and Aberdeen rank in terms of pitcher walks? But – Individually, there are a lot of big success stories in terms of guys improving strikeout rate and lowering their walk rate at this level. So kudos to the the staffs in Bowie and Aberdeen. They're they're doing a lot of fantastic work with some really good pitchers here. And this is why I'm excited for McDermott, because if you get that control straightened out, you've got a much better pitcher. And I think we were like the low outlet on McDermott. You're seeing places where McDermott's ranked as what, like a top 12, top 13 prospect in some of these systems. So clearly a lot of people are, uh, are extremely high. I mentioned, I don't know if it was on our top 50 show or during the trade that I remember when he was in college and I was talking to people who were watching him in these random pop-up COVID leagues over that 2020 summer, they were like, yeah, McDermott's a dude. And they had stat cast data at some of these ballparks and he was blowing guys out of the water with some of his numbers. So it's going to be fun to watch him. Yeah, and there was a comment from uh, Tony Alcott. I'll bring it back up. Uh, Peter Van Loon not being promoted was a mild surprise. I mean, he probably is deserving of it, but Double A's Billy's rotation is definitely crowded, even with Rom and Watson moving up. Now you have Povich, McDermott, Denoyer is going to be in Aberdeen this week before coming back. Velez, same thing. You got Armbruster, Stallings, Brennan Hanafy's back. So I think it's more just about you know giving some breathing room to the guys in Aberdeen. Pinto, Tavera, Feliz, Van Loon, Roth, Gillespie, where they can, instead of splitting games with four innings apiece, maybe they can give them five or six uh, and to end the season strong. Yeah, Van Loon's had a really solid season. I love his stuff, and he certainly deserves it. Houston Roth, I think, it is he, he has a stretch there where he's really dominant, and then he has an, an outing where it kind of blows up a little bit. But, you know, that's most pitchers. But I think overall, Roth, I just want to see what he can do in double-A. And then we can start to get a, a much better idea of who Houston, who Houston Roth is. That sounds weird saying that, Ella. Um, but uh, I want to see him moved up to double-A too. But, yeah, like you mentioned, there, there's just no room. Connor Gillespie, uh, how many times have we said it? He needs a new uniform at this point. I think he's certainly earned it as well, even if it's just out of the bullpen. But, uh, yeah, I could see there's still going to be more moves made. I, there are some more buoy guys who I think get the bump up to triple-A Norfolk maybe by the end of the year or – you know, you start moving these guys in a in a bullpen role as they move up to Bowie. And, you know, Aberdeen as well. Like, they're going to get valuable experience staying at Aberdeen because, I mean, Aberdeen's already clinched a spot in their championship series. We were talking about this before we came on the air. So, I mean, even if they stay on this roster for the rest of the season, they're at least going to be put into that playoff atmosphere and have that experience under their belt as well. So, you know, still a lot to look forward to with them. And also, I think we were talking about before the show started how the seasons end in a staggered way. So even if Aberdeen's season ends and Bowie has another week, they can bring up a couple guys for the playoff push. Hopefully Bowie's making or at least close out the season there as well. So there, there's a lot of names with Delmarva and we'll do our best to try to get to all of them or try to at least kind of highlight who they are and probably why they were promoted. But I do want to quickly shout out Luis Valdez, who makes a jump from Delmarva to Aberdeen. He leaves the Shorebirds with 59 stolen bases. He was within a few stolen bases of actually setting the franchise record at the time that he was promoted. He won't get to set that now, but the good news is he'll get to play at high A Aberdeen. And what had been impressive about Valdez was that if you look month over month 
since really May, he had become a much better hitter. And while, you know, some of the stat, you know, some of the numbers in that stat line in particular, just a 342 slugging percentage, 689 OPS, aren't great. They don't really tell the whole story. I don't know what Valdez is going to look like offensively as he starts to move up, but the deep, the speed is going to play. Uh, he's an elite base stealer, one of the best base stealers in the minor leagues this year. And I think that if you were looking at a guy who's been a really steady performer at Delmarva all year, Valdez probably worthy of this choice right now. Yeah, he's an exciting player. I got to get to Aberdeen now because I, I just want to see his speed in person in action. Uh, in June, he batted 333 with a 762 OPS. In July, 297 with a 750 OPS. So, you know, he is developing some hit tool skills as well. He he has a decent walk percentage. He he is not afraid to take a walk. He's got good plate discipline, the power. I don't know if it's ever going to come, but, you know, speed, some plate discipline, and a little bit of average, plus pretty decent defense. That's a that's a solid player, especially with the way he's able to utilize his speed. And as Sam Jelinek said, he's still learning how to steal bases, which is kind of crazy to think uh, because so fast and stole 59 in, in low A. Let's see how many he can steal to end this season here. He should at least get 15, I would imagine, with the Ironbirds to end the year. Uh, but it'll be fun to see him at the next level, see how he does. I think to his credit, it's he's been – one, uh, you can't count Ben Cosme. He came up, well, he's played like 50 games now in about 50 games now in Delmarva. So I guess you can, can kind of include him. Ben Cosme is the outlier on that Delmarva roster, let's, let's be honest. But I think from everyone else who started on that Delmarva roster, there have been some semi-peaks with some players. There have been some deep, low valleys with their performance. Valdez has been the one guy that I think offensively has just steadily improved in all areas of his game as the seasons progress, which is credit to him. Uh, when he was up to Aberdeen, we'll get a better idea of what kind of hitter he is. I still don't know like if I consider him like a, a real you know prospect prospect, but I'd love to see how he can hit against better pitching. But I'm excited to see, honestly, the stolen base totals because he's going to be on that turf in Aberdeen. But obviously the catchers are going to be better. The pitchers are going to be better at holding him. So I, w- I want to see how much of a more refined base dealer is he going to be and what does that turf do uh, help him out a little bit. But, yeah, it's it's huge. I was not expecting him to get the bump up at all this year, but I'm glad he did. Yeah, I did pull up his numbers. He walks 9.2% of the time this year, which is pretty good. That's a little bit above average, and he only strikes out 22.4%, so not a ton of strikeouts, no power. Not a league average hitter in low A. So, yeah, now he's in. <laughs> Look, Aberdeen is a ballpark that, is not conducive to hitters, especially power hitters, but he's not a power hitter. So maybe he can make that turf work. We'll see. One thing I think that I have actually overlooked with Valdez this season is that coming into this year, he had just 100 plate appearances, all of them in the Dominican summer league. He did not play in the FCL at all before getting to jump to Delmarva. Now he is 22 and, you know, 21 would be considered old for the level at the DSL in most circumstances, but he lost a year of the pandemic, so you have to factor that in. And I still think that even at that age, most players would probably struggle more than Valdez did making that jump from the Dominican Summer League to low A without any stop at the FCL, without any game accident at the FCL in between. And after a slow start to the season at the plate, he took it off and was one of Delmarva's most reliable hitters over the last three months. We'll go now to the group that's going to Delmarva. 
Max Wagner, Judd Fabian, Silas Ardwan, Adam Crampton are among some of the draft picks that will help the Swordbirds lineup. Um, we did not get a chance to see a lot of these guys play in the FCL. They were barely there. In fact, I think Wagner played in just one or two games before he was promoted. Um, should point out that all of these players I just mentioned are college bats. So the idea of them making the jump to the Swordbirds is not at all surprising. But uh, Nick, I'll just start with you here. Your thoughts on the group of players making a jump from the FCL to the Swordbirds? I want to see Judd Fabian the most. He's the guy that I am most anxious to see. And he he went 0 for 2 with two strikeouts in his FCL debut. Ends up playing four total games, hit 500, six walks, just four strikeouts uh, with a double. I, I am very anxious to see what he can do. I think he's going to be a very exciting player. And I think I mentioned that he could be one of, one of the bigger steals of this draft when I look at his ceiling. I think he still has a wide range of outcomes, but I think there is extreme potential there with Judd Fabian if he can hit for that higher average and the strikeout rate remains low and he keeps improving on that like he did at Florida last year. But the when he's only hitting, you know, what, 230, 240 in college, that is scary. But uh, I want to see what this organization can do with him. Uh, and it's honestly, I like the those smaller, like, defensive wizards over there. It's like Adam Crampton. I want to see him play a little defense. Uh, we'll see if how well the bat plays. I'm not too sure. But uh, I'm excited to see him play defense. And honestly, the, the pitchers, to me, we didn't see any work from – Bradley Bremer, Richard, Cam Weston. We didn't see any of them in the FCL. They didn't make an appearance. Jared Beck obviously didn't make an appearance. We would have, we would have all seen <laughs> that. But uh, those other guys, they're you know they weren't very sexy like when they were drafted. They were just regular kind of contributors if you look at their stat lines. But we've heard good things about their makeup, their pitch metrics, and these are the guys who the Orioles like to mold. Like this, these guys fit their model. So I want to see what Weston and Bremer and Sharp specifically look like now that we can finally watch them pitch in, in Del Marva. Yeah, I agree. We haven't got to see any of those pitchers yet. They haven't made their debuts, but Del Marva's pitching staff definitely is going to be a little bit better. <laughs> Same with offense, honestly, after these promotions, but whether these guys are going to be starting or most likely pitching out of relief just to get a taste of professional ball, it's going to be make Del Marva's uh, games a little more competitive. And obviously we're, it's not as big of a group as it was last year coming into uh, Delmarva with the likes of Colton Kowser and Connor Norby, et cetera, but, and Kobe Mayo. Uh, but Max Wagner, Judd Fabian, Dylan Beaver, Siler Sardouan, and Adam Crampton should definitely help that team. And, yeah, I think Fabian is definitely like the one where it's like you can see the upside. You can see in the videos that Eric Garfield has recorded that the ball, he it explodes off his bat. You can see why. You know, he's got that power. He's an exciting guy. Maybe that he's finally in pro ball. It's just pushing him to take it to an, another level. Dylan Beavers hit a, his first hit. I think it was a double or was his first extra base hit. I don't know. It's hard to keep up with the FCL stuff, but these guys are finally in full season ball and we get to, to see how they perform. I think the guy that I'm most interested to see is Max Wagner because he was someone who shot up the draft boards after a really good season at Clemson. And considered a raw player coming from a cold weather state, but just 20 years old. And he had an excellent season at Clemson this year. He only plays in one FCL game before the move up. I'm really curious in particular to see how the power looks from the right side and how that defense looks at third base. 
So for a 20-year-old who's probably going to be your starting third baseman, he's actually going to turn 21 uh, this week. So 21-year-old in his first professional season, uh, going to be your everyday third baseman at the low-A level probably for the rest of the way. That's a pretty good accomplishment. It's going to give us a chance to get our eyes on him, and I'm excited for that. And Beavers, I'm very excited to see as well. We've heard a lot of good things about the power with him and I don't know how much he's going to be challenged by low A pitching, but still good that he's going to get this exposure to the more uh, typical day in a minor leaguer's life over the last month of the season. Probably preparing all of these guys for possible assignments to Aberdeen on opening day next year. Yeah, I think that's very likely the case. And Jackson Holiday, we'll see if he gets up to Delmarva once the FCL season ends. I could see it going either way, honestly, but he'll most likely start in Delmarva next year, kind of like Gunnar Henderson did in 2021. But with Silas Ardoin and eventually Anthony Servideo in the same lineup, put them back to back, first and second, bat Judd Fabian third, and watch how many <laughs> three run homers get hit. <laughs> the on base percentage of those two guys is going to be <laughs> outrageous. Um, yeah, I want to see which of those batters. Who is the the Colton Kowser in terms of he just puts up video game numbers in Delmarva and then he gets to Aberdeen? We realize like we might have a problem with this guy because they're striking out too much and not performing well. And then it turns out to be actually a dude. Uh, I'm probably putting my money on Max Wagner. That being the case, there he just lights up Delmarva, and then when he gets gets in Aberdeen at that Aberdeen ballpark, just, just sucks the life out of him a little bit, and then he gets to Bowie at the end of next year and. All of a sudden, bam, here we go. Max Wagner is the breakout star of this draft. We got we got some people. I think we got a patron or two uh, who they are extremely, extremely high on Max Wagner. Uh, and I've seen a lot of conversation right after the draft. The people, especially the more analytically inclined your draft followers out there, like this was a fantastic pickup by the Orioles. So, yeah, Wagner, it's uh, it could be a guy who I just don't think he's getting a ton of attention. I feel like that's the guy who a lot of Orioles fans kind of look over and maybe – it's the uh, was it was it was it John Rose last year with you, Bob? They're like he's just got a kind of a boring name. Um, so maybe that's it with uh, Max Wagner. But uh, I have a feeling the play is not going to be so boring. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting after last week. So I saw that we got a lot of questions about why Max Wagner was not ranked higher, and I was surprised to see that feedback just because Wagner is so new to the organization. But when I thought about him more, I thought, well, you know, he was one of those guys that when I was putting together the top 50, it's like I can make a good argument for him maybe being somewhere just inside the top 20. But I don't really know what the Orioles have just yet. So that was sort of my hesitation. But, yeah, you can dream on him being a top 15 guy by this time next year. Yeah, I could definitely see him following that John Rhodes path. Boring name and all, but... For us, we're always going to be, I feel like, a little more conservative when these guys are new, whether it's through trade or draft in the system, until we can get to watch them play. And and it's not just about the scouting reports that we read and the stat lines that we look at, but we want to watch these guys play and make our judgment for ourselves. So um, at least for me, I'm always more conservative until I'm more confident in my opinions. And he only had the one, not even a full season at Clemson. I mean, he started the year on Clemson's bench, so... You know, you hit 27 home runs with an OPS of, what was his OPS, like 1,400 or something absurdly ridiculous. Like, yeah, it's awesome. And he did in the ACC. Like, that's no joke of a conference. He's going to get some really good pitching over there. But, yeah, it's 
now's our chance. It starts this week. I am stoked. Normally, I'm like, all right, Bowie, I got to watch Bowie tonight. <laughs> now, I'm like, uh, 7 o'clock, I'm watching Del Marvel on Tuesday night, and I have not said that. I watch Del Marvel games, uh, skipping through a lot of it, but uh, I'm finally like, 7 o'clock, I'm ready to sit down and watch some Del Marvel Shorebirds baseball. Yeah, Aberdeen is the one that's like, okay, we can we can skip this now. This is the one where it's like, okay, if they have announcers, whatever. No, I would still love to watch them, but get that fixed. But I think Norfolk, Delmarva, and Bowie are both like must-see TV right now. We'll go now back to the Major League roster to talk about Adley Rutzman. And last week, Nathan Ruiz had a very good article in the Baltimore Sun that took kind of a deeper look at Rutzman's Rookie of the Year uh, odds and how much he has improved them in recent months. And a great point that is made here, the numbers have changed. This article is a few days old now, so I'm not going to quote from it directly. But essentially, Ruiz pointed out that after Rutschman got off to a 5 for 56 start at the major league level, he's been on fire to play. And when you look at his overall numbers, you factor in the defense and the offense He's been one of the best catchers in baseball um, in that time period. And it's not an exaggeration by any stretch. And now you look at the rookie of the year race and Rutschman is kind of up there with the top contenders, which when I was preparing for this show, the four that I zeroed in on were Julio Rodriguez, who I think is front runner right now with Jeremy Pena of the Astros and Stephen Kwan of the Guardians right there in the mix. I think both of those guys deserve to be in the conversation, but Rutschman has, despite missing, you know, a month and a half, about a month and not making the major leagues until late May, um, really jumped into the rookie of the year race. And I think definitely made a push for one of the top three spots. So I know we've all kind of taken our different uh, looks at this and I'm going to start with Bob. Where would you put Adley right now in the rookie of the year race? Honestly, I probably have him second behind Julio. I know Pena's been really good all year and has good defense as well, but Adley just being a catcher and performing the way he has with the bat, I mean, has walked, I think he's on base is close to 500 since the all-star break. Um, it's just ridiculous. And he adds so much value defensively behind the plate that I feel like, He's he's getting closer to Julio, especially when Rodriguez was on the injured list. It allowed him to get back in the race here. I still think Julio will end up winning it just because he's had more time to adjust. He's got more time to put up numbers. But Adley's right in the mix. And for his sake, I hope he gets back that year of service time and forces the Orioles to sign him to an extension even sooner than maybe they were planning to. Yeah, I, I think – the Orioles being in this playoff race now certainly is going to help his odds because more people are going to be watching him or paying attention at least. But I know you have the draft pick compensation and the service time scenarios and all that good stuff associated with this award now, but I'm still just so like jaded when it comes to any award in sports it, because you look at like who votes for these awards and it's just kind of a, a joke. It's like, I've got my favorite stat, whether it's a home runs or, whatever it is, and I'm just going to sort the MLB.com leaderboard and whoever's at the top, that's going to be my vote, which kind of dampers all this a little bit. But I think in terms of like batting average, games played, the low home run total, like Adley struggles to win this award. And we're looking at these numbers on August 15th, right? But like, let's be honest, objectively speaking, he 100% deserves to be rookie of the year. And honestly, at this point, I don't care if he wins the award or not, we realize what we've got in him. 
right? There's Nathan did a great job of highlighting in that article all the the good numbers, like actual numbers that matter when looking at Ali Rutschman's stats. Diving into the data, you know, the chase rate. He doesn't chase pitches. He doesn't swing and miss at pitches inside the zone. And he leads so many of these really good you know, metrics by such a wide margin. But, you know, we we know that, you know, RBIs are kind of bull crap. Shout out to, shout out to my wife. Uh, if she's listening, this is the test to see if she's actually listening to this show. Because if she is, she's going to bust through this door any minute, screaming like, F yeah. Uh, perks of having a, a data analyst as a wife who loves baseball. But, uh, like we know those basic counting stats aren't indicative of how impactful a player is. And I don't really care about like at least home run total right now, because look at everything else, pull up the baseball savant page. There's a lot of red. It's beautiful. The batted ball, ball data is fantastic. I wouldn't be shocked if we did see a few more home runs as the season progresses, but the, the batted ball data alone is he's deserving to win this award. But you know, that doesn't even factor in the defensive value, the framing value, the results from this pitching staff with Adley behind the plate versus when he's not behind the plate. We know as a fan base what we have in him. And I can't remember who tweeted this, but uh, they said something the other day, like Adley could end up being to Baltimore, what Buster Posey was to San Francisco. And I thought that was beautiful. And I hope that does come true. But um, looking at this award voting, Julio's been up. He's had the home run derby. So he's got that you know, kind of in his back pocket. He's got the home run total. I think that plays a major role in it when these writers are looking at who they're going to vote for. You know, as long as Adley can stay close in the war category and, you know, the Orioles can stay competitive as the season winds down, then, yeah, he's certainly, I see him finishing two in this race. One thing that struck me when I was going through the numbers and kind of zeroing in on the four players I mentioned, Rutzman, Pena, Rodriguez, and Quan is that if you look at the baseball reference version of war, Rodriguez leads all of those players by a fairly wide margin, yet the Fangraphs version of war gives him only a narrow lead over Rutzman, a war of three in over 99 games compared to a war of 2.8 over just 66 games for Adley Rutzman. And I saw a listener bring up the point earlier about Wander Franco. I think if Franco had been in the majors last year earlier, he would have won Rookie of the Year. And you could have made a really strong case for him winning the award anyways. And I think Rutschman is in a similar boat this year. What I wonder if it's going to come down to is you've got kind of similar, not exactly similar, but some similarities between the Mariners and the Orioles. Both are young teams. Uh, Both have kind of been in this more of a retooling phase for the Mariners, but both have focused on stockpiling young talent. The Mariners were expected to contend and after a slow start, have contended. I would expect right now they're going to make the playoffs. The Orioles weren't expected to do anything at all um, other than perhaps lose, you know, not lose 100 games this year. And it's August 15th, and they're a game and a half out of the wild card spot, and they're above 500. No one saw that coming. Do you think that the way that these two teams play over the next six weeks or so could affect it? You know, are there some voters that maybe aren't diving that deep into the data just yet that are going to see how the pennant race unfolds and kind of make their decision from that. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're, it's a, it's so random 30 writers from randomly across the country get to vote on this award. So maybe some will be warheads and, uh, you know, if Adley catches Julio more, maybe they'll give him some first place votes. And then if other guys see, Oh, since Adley came up, the team, the Orioles won this many games compared to before he came up, then they'll he'll get some votes there. So maybe he can capture 
the heart of uh, old school and new new school uh, fans alike. I just think you've got so many old dinosaurs voting for this that they're going to be like, who leads in home runs? And, and that's it. Uh, but yeah, it, it could make an impact. But I just think Rodriguez, you know, his highlights are more you know, they're, they're more exciting to post a Julio Rodriguez, you know, diving, catching the outfield or a monster blast from Julio on Twitter. Like those, those videos are going to get more views. They're going to get more people excited. What Adley does all the time is stuff that, you know, isn't quantifiable. It's stuff that it's hard to see as the average fan who doesn't understand what catching is like what Adley brings to the table. A lot of the times is stuff that we don't see, but makes a tremendous impact and makes everyone on this roster so much better and i that's why i just think like it's a fun conversation and i'm sure if if everything stays constant right now of course it's going to come down to one of these two guys and the debates are going to be endless and they're going to get intense but at the end of the day like i i can't find myself caring one because the orioles aren't going to get that draft pick since you have to be on the opening day roster right to get the draft pick is that how this works i think yeah so like they're not going to get that draft pick so really it's just can you finish? Is it top two or top three for service time? I think it's two. It's two. All right. He, he can get top two. Finish top two, get that year's service time. And like Bob said, that was a great point. Force the Orioles to say, here's a monster fat contract this offseason. Let's let's go, let's go win some games. Yeah, Rutzman would have to just finish in the top two for the extra year of service time, meaning he'd be eligible for free agency. I think after the 2028 season rather than the 2029 season, but I'll double check that. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't have a problem with Rodriguez winning the award at this point, but I think that anyone who looks at Rodriguez and thinks he's having a significantly better season than Rutzman just because of the batting average or the RBIs really needs to take a deeper dive because Rutzman has been a premium defender at a really valuable position since day one. And on top of that, you know, like we talked about earlier, his control of the strike zone for someone who has not been in the major leagues a full year is ridiculous. It looks like he's been in the majors for 10 years when you watch his at-bats. That's why when you know the, the hot, take, hot takers in Birdland were going off about Rutschman being a bust in his 5-for-56 start, I didn't agree with it one bit because he was putting up good at-bat after good at-bat after good at-bat Sometimes just with things ending with really bad luck, hit a line drive right at somebody. You knew eventually that was going to start breaking his way, and it did. Yeah, and it's not to take anything away from Julio Rodriguez, who I love watching. He's exciting as hell. He's he's great. He's going to be a stud for a long time. But at least since June 10th, which you take out those first three weeks that he was struggling, he's batting 278. With the 900 exactly OPS, 15.5% walk rate, same exact strikeout rate, uh, 227 ISO. So even though it's six home runs in that period, the 22 doubles that he hit uh, gets that power number up. And he's a 156 WRC plus, all with being probably the best, if not one of the best uh, defensive catchers and framers alive. So, yeah, it's hard to say, but Adley Rutschman might be underrated at this point. (laughs) I I mean... For sure. And I think it's going to take more people like I think I saw Jeff Passan tweeting a lot about Adley recently. It's going to take more of those national writers to be like, hey, Adley Rutschman is really awesome at, at what he's doing here. Uh, I think that will help his case. To me, though, I think that is a great point that it's whether it's Adley or Julio, both these guys, I hope, become 
just two of the bigger faces in baseball for the next 10, 15 years. Because I, I think I'm jealous of the West Coast baseball fans, to be honest. You got Julio, you got uh, uh, Trout, hopefully he's coming back. You've got Otani maybe for a little bit longer. We'll see what happens, what, what the Angels do. But you've got Juan Soto out in San Diego with Manny, Tatis, and who knows. <laughs> Padres fans are they're not in a good space right now with that news. But uh, it's yeah, so no shot at Julio at all. I'm just glad that uh and not a big shot at bobby witt jr himself because i love so many of these the best players in the game right now are these young up-and-coming studs it's going to make baseball so much fun for for the next 10 15 years as more and more of these guys become just the, the legends of the game but i'm so glad that i think we can kind of come to consensus that bobby witt jr is not a top two or three favorite because if bobby witt jr would have win this award over adley Rutschman, i would not be able to take some of the comments that I'm sure would start flying. <laughs> and, you know, Adley Rutschman is awesome as he is. I think it's just because he's, he's the captain America of the Avengers. He's the leader. He's the, you know, somewhat boring personality wise, at least, you know, to the public face. Uh, but don't worry, Orioles fans, Gunnar Henderson's coming and he is not that he's going to be oozing confidence all over our TV screens sooner rather than later. And before we move on from this discussion, I do have to shout out Felix Batista. This is going to be an incredibly hard year for a reliever to win the award because you have so many position players. And in the cases of Rutzman and Rodriguez, two guys that were expected to be favorites for the award coming into the year in the mix. So it's going to make it incredibly hard for a reliever to break through. But 48 innings pitch, 64 strikeouts, just 15 walks. Um, he now comes into maybe the best intro of any reliever in Major League Baseball. I had to throw that out there a year ago when we have thought that we would be talking about Felix Batista pitching this way right now. And we were high on Batista yeah. last year. Yeah, we were fans. But no, yeah, it's been amazing to watch. And the walks that he's gotten this under control is remarkable. And all credit to Chris Holton company. But yeah, Felix Batista should honestly finish ahead of Bobby Witt Jr. in the vote. He's been dominant. I'm going to be honest, last year, until he got to Bowie, I didn't pay a single bit of attention to Felix Batista. When he was in Aberdeen, he was just a dude. He's just a guy who's been in the minor leagues for almost 10 years at that point, seven, eight seasons, walking everybody he faces almost. Like, <laughs> strikeout, walk, like, that's it. So I really wasn't paying attention at all. And then he got to Bowie, and it's like, okay, he's striking out 16 guys per game. This is, might be somebody. And then now Felix Batista, yeah. I, this is a guy who I think he deserves, certainly deserves top five consideration here in the race. But regardless, you've got yourself a, a solid closer. Unbelievable story. I can't, I can't wait for like the deeper dives. I, you need the 30 for 30 on Felix Batista. I don't need more Derek Jeter documentaries on ESPN. Give me the Felix Batista story because I feel like this is, yeah. You don't want nine and a half hours of a cliche speak from Derek Jeter. No, I want to hear about the upbringing of Felix Batista in the DR and then spending eight years, nine years in the minor leagues. Like, that's a fascinating story. You what need a 10-season HBO Max uh, miniseries uh, to get all that in there. I mean, that would be remarkable. We'll move on now to our final segment of the show where we shout out players outside of our top 30. And we've got an interesting crop this week. I'm going to start with Nick um, who has a pitcher that's been pretty solid this year, as well as a hitter who maybe has dropped off of people's radars because of his performances a little bit, but still definitely belongs in the conversation with 
one of the better catching prospects in the system. Yeah, Creed Williams is my hitter for this week, and I want to shout him out just because of that. I feel like it's been a tough year for him offensively, and I know a lot of people, we get a lot of comments about what's up with Creed, what's up with Creed. A lot of comments just on social media as well about his play, and I get it. But he played in four games last week, went five for 13. It's so a 385 average, had a double, struck out just one time. So a really positive week for the 19-year-old catcher. To me, the question is, when I when I picked him and I'm looking at his numbers, I'm like, oh, well, now Silas Hardwan is up there in Delmarva. Adam Retzbach also got promoted to Delmarva, which I know he can play the outfield. So I imagine he moves around a little bit to get his bat in the lineup. But It'll be interesting to see how behind the plate duties are divided up in Delmarva the rest of the way. These last three series they have, four series they have, but good week for him. Good to see that. And the pitcher is Easton Lucas, two and a third perfect innings with Bowie the other day, four strikeouts. He's now thrown 15 and two thirds scoreless innings. And actually, I kind of I was doing a little bit more digging uh, when I was looking at his numbers. I should have just labeled this Bowie's bullpen because Griffin McClarty has also not allowed an earned run in 15 innings. Shelton Perkins hasn't allowed a, a earned run in eight innings. And Tyler Birch and Connor Loprich have combined. They've each given up one earned run over their last eight innings of work each. So, I mean, that's 50-plus inning stretch among those guys where they've allowed a combined two earned runs. So that's unbelievable. I know Hector Perez, Lopez, whoever, had a horrible outing the other night and Akron did get three walk-offs against Bowie. So <laughs> not a great sign for Bowie's bullpen, but that core right there, those four guys, unbelievable stretch their own. Yeah. They, the Jonathan VR trade lives on with Easton Lucas rebounding here in the second half of the season. Sorry. I just watched Brian Baker strike out someone and I was watching him <laughs> and Adley uh, high five each other. Um, my, uh, my picks are Shane Fontana who, you know, we saw Dylan Harris get promoted from double-A Bowie after a strong start into triple-A Norfolk, and then he couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag and was eventually released, unfortunately. But Shane Fontana, it has, he got off to a little bit of a slow start, but since this past week, he has adapted fairly well. I lost the numbers. Here they are. He's batting three fifty three over this past week with an eight forty OPS, uh, one thirty one WRC+. Obviously, it's, you know, not the biggest – Sample size, but it's just nice to see him, you know, get back in there and do what he was doing all year long. The power is yet to come, at least in AAA Norfolk. And we know Harbor Park's a tough place to hit home runs in, but like seeing him do that. And my pitcher is Anthony Murillo, who was a breakout candidate for me. This is a six foot two uh, right handed pitcher out of, I believe, the Dominican Republic. He's 20 years old. He was in the mix as far as my uh, breakout candidates with Cesar Alvarez. Davey Cruz and Moises Chasse, and he's finally back pitching in the FCL here as the season winds down. Not off to a great start, but I'm just glad to see him out there healthy again and get a couple innings at the end of this year and hopefully rebound and be the breakout in 2023 instead. So I'll jump in now with my picks, and both of these players now are on Del Marva. I'll start with Silas Ardwan, who in four games at the FCL had 17 plate appearances and drew nine walks. Yeah, he did not collect a base hit in that stretch, but nine walks against two strikeouts. And Arduan is a guy who actually broke out a little bit at Texas this year with the bat hitting 12 homers, posting a 904 OPS in 296 plate appearances. The defense draws rave reviews, so I'm going to be really excited to watch him in Delmarva the rest of the way. I think mainly to see how he works behind the plate, what that arm looks like. But then, you know, does the bat, does that, you know, momentum that he had at Texas 
this spring carry over in an extended run in pro ball. So shout out to our Dwan. And then Yaqui Rivera, who was one of the players acquired in the Tanner Scott Cole Saucer trade just before this season started, only 19 years old. And after getting off to a slow start at Delmarva, has been one of the Shorebirds' more reliable pitchers of late. We saw that last week in a win against Carolina where he came in in relief, delivered five shutout innings, no hits, no walks, six strikeouts. And overall, if you go back to July 17th, in his last five games, Rivera has 14 innings pitched, 18 strikeouts against just five walks, has held batters to a 192 batting average and 571 OPS. So Rivera putting together a nice run here at the end of the year for Delmarva. And to be doing that as a 19-year-old in low A after barely any time with the Orioles in the FCL, very encouraging start for him. And in fact, I'll just throw this out there. Between the Marlins and the Orioles over the last two seasons, Rivera had just 14 innings in the FCL. He's now 21 and two-thirds with Delmarva. The overall numbers there aren't great, but when you have 31 strikeouts and 21 and two-thirds innings pitch, and his stuff looks really good, this is a guy that, I'm starting to look excited about. Yeah, and I was surprised they stretched him out to five innings there, wasn't it? It was five innings, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think Eric Longenhagen has him in like the top 30 of our prospects. So mm-hmm. maybe this is a guy they still think that could potentially be a starter candidate. I thought he was a pure relief guy, but we shall see. Very interesting arm. No doubt about it. All right. We have the daily podcast for, on our Patreon feed to wrap up, recap all the day's action every day. And I know every time I get a recap with Yaki Rivera, I pay close attention to that, his outing. And I think just the raw stuff, kind of going through the Stelmarva roster, I mean, outside of Carter Baumler, obviously, and Davy Cruz as well, I think uh, Yaki Rivera has the absolute nastiest stuff on that Delmarva staff. It's raw, and it doesn't always land. Uh, incredibly raw, actually, but especially the fastball. But his secondaries, you see it. When you talk about seeing flashes of this, flashes of that, Yaki Rivera has shown those flashes over and over again, and I was so ecstatic to see him have that outing that he did this past week because I think this is a a serious guy who could uh, break out next year. He could be a 20-year-old pitching in in Aberdeen next year out of Aberdeen's rotation. So, yeah, if you haven't seen him pitch yet, I would highly advise – now that's a little bit more exciting to watch uh, Delmarva. Uh, watch Delmarva and watch Rivera pitch next time. You won't be disappointed. Um, I'll just throw this out there, too, with Rivera. Um, just turned 19 on July 19th. So he's barely 19 years old, and he's not going to turn 20 until next summer. Uh, normally, this is where we'd wrap up the show, but we do have a question here from a listener, AJ. Are they going to release slash DFA, Zach Lothar, Alex Wells, and UCL Diaz this offseason? So very quickly, uh, starting with Nick. Lothar, yeah. I'm surprised he's still around at this point, to be honest. Diaz, I imagine maybe he's thrown into some trade. Maybe some team wants to take a shot at him, but I could see him being thrown in some trade package. Uh, Wells, I don't know. I think we'll see how far he ends up going. If he gets another shot in the big leagues this year or not, because he's rehabbing. He was with Bowie on Sunday or Saturday, so he's working his way back. I imagine if he gets back to the major leagues this year and it's not great, then yeah, that might be it for him. But if he shows you a little bit, I could easily see him coming back next year and be right in that mix of like Zach was mentioning earlier of you know having 10, 12 starter candidates next year, Wells being one of those guys probably. 
This is almost like a game of ding, marry, kill. I think uh, <laughs> Zach Lothar released, Eustinel Diaz, DFA, and Alex Wells gets one more shot going into mm-hmm. next year. Yeah, if one of them sticks, if I think if you look at those three, Wells is the most likely to stick in the organization, perhaps with Lothar being the least likely. Diaz, don't make me say that. I hope he's going to stay healthy again, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I hope he stays healthy over the last month of the season. And yeah, he probably is at this point someone you throw into a trade to see if you can make make it a little more enticing for a team. So we'll see where that goes. And we've uh, covered a lot tonight with what's going on this season, what to look forward to over the final weeks from the major leagues down to Delmarva. And we're going to have a lot in the offseason. And we will be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLight.com for all the latest coverage on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And while you're there, hop on the message board to join the discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors. And follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Birds. And look for a Chase McDermott fastball clip at some point this week because you need to see it for yourself. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.